everybody doing? Welcome back to another episode <laughs> of the Critics Corner Podcast. I am William Locke, and joining me today is the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Luis Bronco, who's making fun of my intro before we started. So had to switch it up a little bit today. But Luis, thanks for coming on on a Friday night to record this podcast. I mean, there's nothing else I would rather do on a Friday night than be recording a podcast. That's why we're here today. So that's why we're here today. Hey, we got, you know, I got my uh, high noon right here. Right. Yes, sir. I got my neutral seltzer. We're I drinking at least. We're having a couple of drinks while we're, we're while we record. It could get saucy by the end of the podcast, but I will guarantee you it will be entertaining. So I would listen in. How have you been? How's how's a, how's the mean streets up there of Chicago? <laughs> mean streets of Chicago are doing well. Uh, busy with work, you know, um, but it's good. Rather be busy than uh, not have much going on. So, you know, enjoying that. Uh, and been reading a lot about baseball, been watching uh, a lot of basketball, obviously, uh, keeping up with the baseball news. It's been pretty busy. What about you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Just watching a lot of college basketball this year. I, mean, I don't know why I'm into college basketball this year more than often, but the past two weeks in baseball news since the last podcast, it has just been something ridiculous, like crazy. We've had a move every day, and I kind of feel like you know we're at that time right now where teams are finalizing those spring training invites and getting ready to go and there's and they're looking at oh we have room for one or two more guys and there's still quality veterans still available out there so that's what we're seeing a lot of signings and moves just you know polishing up those rosters before uh pitchers and catchers report on valentine's day i love how you keep saying valentine's day but yeah that is true you know we're seeing a lot of moves to really kind of iron out the back half of of rosters and fill gaps where uh, where needed. Um, but honestly, you know, the biggest move that we have to talk about that happened last Friday, and this team's been in the news, man, like who would have thought the Minnesota Twins would have been like really headlining the, the offseason over the past couple of weeks. But sure enough, they made another splash move last Friday, trading Luis Arrays to the Miami Marlins for Pablo Lopez, Jose Salas now is the Twins' number 13th overall prospect. He's 19 years old, as well as Brian Chirillo, a 17-year-old outfielder that played rookie ball last season. I know we talked about it over text, uh, especially you know right when it happened. But I don't want. I'm not going to give my opinion before you do. So I want to hear your initial thoughts from this deal when you saw it come down. So here's here's my deal. Let's let's take a look at the Marlins roster construction. I'm big on roster construction and seeing like what you're doing with your team. So with the Rays, Arias, you have now infielders. You have John Birdie, who's probably going to start third base because you assume that dude. that dude was a key player on your fantasy team last year for a bit. There, you're in. Sorry to interrupt, but in trade talks, you were acting like John Birdie was Nolan Arenado. I could not get that guy for some reason. Well, he was a stolen base demon. That's what. That's the only thing he does. He gets on base and steals bases. But he he he'll, he's more of a utility guy. So they have Joey Wendell, quality player, Gene Segura, who's probably starting third base because that's what they've been saying they're going to do with him. Garrett Cooper probably starts first, and then like Jordan Groshans there. So like, what are you doing? You already have. You have one, two, three, four 
infield positions, and you have one, two, three, four, five guys. Six, if you count, Jordan Groshans. Six guys. Like, what are you doing? Makes absolutely no sense. And my biggest issue is from a standpoint of um, from Miami, starting pitching is probably the most valuable position out in baseball. And you would agree with that, correct? Starting as a unit, yes. As a singular pitcher, like it is, there's a premium. If you're trading one at the deadline, you're probably getting three or two top 100 prospects or top 10 system yep. guys. That's fair. Yep. Yep. And Certainly very important. Top three, three, top two position, if not the most important. Yes. And so, like, what I don't understand is, like, why are you trading for a second baseman? Like, I understand second base is a valuable position, but in comparison, you're Valuable positions are outfielders, are shortstops, and those are your two like bread and butter positions. And you traded for a second baseman, and, and and he's not even really a first baseman because he struggled or a second baseman. He struggled so much with injuries last year that he had to play mostly first and DH in the second half of the season. And I know that he's advertised as the batting champ last year, and he absolutely was. But this is a guy that hit two eighty nine. In the second half of the season, I know he finished with like a 313 average, but this dude really struggled down the stretch last year. And those numbers might be a little bit misconstrued or or you might read into those numbers a little bit too much. They might be inflated because he plays all that trash pitching. Because let's think about it in, in the AL Central. They, like, there's only one team that has decent pitching, and that's the Guardians. Everybody else in that division stinks. So then where I come back to you is – as the Marlins, why are you trading for a second baseman? What is your window? Are you literally now trying to push your chips in right now to win? Because let's be honest, they're not winning that division. They're no, they're no way. They might not even be the fourth best team in that division. Yeah, they're not even close. No, the fourth. The Nationals might be better. We don't even know. Like, think about it. The Nationals might be better. Why are you making this move to win now? Why aren't you just, as I would say, rebuild the rebuild? Because this rebuild's already failed. Yeah, you know? yeah it has. Why don't you just rebuild the rebuild? It makes absolutely no sense from Miami's standpoint. The only thing I can say that can repair this, in my in my opinion, is that Miami now goes midseason and trades for the top outfield bat available at the deadline. Maybe it's a Luis Robert from the White Sox. You plop him out in outfield, and then... You come next free agency and you offer Manny Machado $350 million. As If you guys don't know, Manny Machado is from the area. He is from Hialeah. And I think he has an off-season house here. He thinks he spends his off-seasons out here. I think he does. I've seen yeah. his Instagram. But yeah. what I'm, what I'm, where I'm getting is ads is, like, the only way to repair this is to, like, just go and, like, try to get him next year. Just – Give him four hundred million next off season, but then at that point you're just stuck with again. You have seven infielders, like you have a a, a bunch of infielders, and none of them are like infielders. none of them are great. Unless you have Jazz is good, but Jazz now is going to play center, right? And I was a little bit surprised by the reaction to this trade. 
I felt like there were a lot of people out there that were stunned that Miami or or that Minnesota would get rid of Luis Arreyes. But for me, this is a super great sell high situation from a Minnesota perspective. I don't know if this guy's necessarily going to get better at this point in his career. Like I said, he's he's consistently battled injuries and he doesn't really do much besides hit for a high average, right? And I don't know how valuable that is in today's game, to be honest. But from a minute, like we talked about this from a Miami perspective, we agree. We don't really understand what the vision is there or like what they're trying to build because it just felt like they're just trying to get any type of hitter to to help bolster the lineup because it was so bad last year. But I don't necessarily think this is the right move for them, especially because Pablo Lopez's now we can get into Minnesota's perspective, but Pablo Lopez's value was so high. You know, this was a top 25 to 30 starter in the entire league last year. He had a three, he's had a 3.52 ERA with 348 strikeouts in 340 innings since 2020. He is a very, 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 very solid number two starter for you. He could be the number one guy in Minnesota just because they don't have that true ace. But nonetheless, Minnesota is getting rid of a guy that I think is probably on the downswing in his career for Pablo Lopez, a guy that's in his mid-20s, one of the better number two guys in the league. Like I said, he's on the upswing of his career, and they get two prospects in return. I was stunned to see the the fact that Minnesota was the team getting the prospects. Now, people are saying that's probably because Luis Arreyes has three years of team control left while uh, Lopez only has two. Uh, that's maybe why they had to add in prospects. But still, I, I think this was was a great deal for a Minnesota team that really needs or that really needed to to reinforce that rotation. And they did they did exactly that. So, you know, while they do lose one of their better bats, I think they can replace him. And uh, with with guys that they have on the roster, and they also made another trade that we can talk to talk about a little bit later. Um, but I don't know. I, I just feel like Minnesota really won this trade. Uh, hands down. And I, I felt that way right when it happened. Yeah, no. And shout out to Minnesota for keeping us sane and keeping this podcast alive for the past month and a half during the dog days of the off season. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, it's a no brainer for Minnesota. I mean, like you get a dude who you now, you now have three guys in that rotation. You have three playoff arms now. Exactly. You have three playoff arms. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this trade it could be one that right now we ridicule right now, but it could be something that in a, in a year and a half we're like, man, Miami got a good trade. It could it could completely flip flop. So it's like one of those like the Montes Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton, where it could be a win win for both sides, or it can just end up being a complete you know heist for one of the teams. We're just gonna have to wait and see. But for now, I think Minnesota did great, and the only thing is. Miami better back up the Brinks truck and tell uh, and be like, "Yo, you got a house in Coral Gables." I just looked up. My Manny Machado does live here in the off season. He lives five minutes away from the apartment. Really? Yeah, that's crazy. So it's kind of like you know, give him the four hundred million and hope he wants to come home and play crap baseball. Yeah, in a depressing stadium. And no, it's not depressing. It is Tropicana Junior. Tropicana. Uh, Tropicana Field revamped. That's what it is. The 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 20th century Tropicana or 21st the 21st century, century the 21st century Tropicana Field. I mean, last note here, just the fact that Minnesota or or yeah, Minnesota got Pablo Lopez for and what in my opinion is a light return makes me wonder why the Yankees didn't go after the guy 
harder. Because they, like, they, they don't want to get give up Gliber. But oh, yeah, I, I that, that if, bro, if that was the asking price, the second baseman, because it was Gliber. I remember that I can't remember who, but I think uh, the dude from MLB.com. I don't I don't know how to say his name, but it starts with an F. Yeah, yeah. Fine sand, whatever. Yeah. He was like, it's fine sand. Yeah. Yeah. Fine sand. He was like, oh, it's Glyber. They're holding on to Glyber. Yep. Which hey, is... IKF, Glyber Torres, and Josh Donaldson for Shohei Otani, man. Yeah. We don't need to. We always talk about that every single podcast, but I want to touch on that right now. Um, Did you see the news this week? What, that Aaron Hicks is going to be the starting left fielder for the New York Yankees next year? No, we weren't, we weren't. I wasn't going to talk anything about the Yankees, but, you know, oh. we could. But, um, our, 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 our Moreno, Artie Moreno is not selling to Angels. Yeah, that's we can talk about that. That's tough news for Angels fans. I, I feel bad. There was a there was like glimmer of hope, like a little bit of a tease that they could finally get out of this dearth that is Artie Moreno. And sure enough, he decides to stay onto the team. It's like if the Glazers said, Oh, yeah, we're gonna sell United, and then they just say, ah, actually, we're gonna keep them. How mad would you be if that happened? I think I would riot. I think I would hop on a plane to Manchester and fucking. I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. Let's put it that way. Exactly. So that's how Angels fans are feeling right now. And, and, the, thing, and the thing is, they have history. It's not like a team that doesn't have history. Like the California Angels, they had like those throwback uniforms they have are super cool. You even have one of their hats. Yeah, they have cool hats. So they have a great history. Yeah. No, but they've had good ball players. Like, let's I think know. about in I mean, the won a World Series in 2004. They had Vlad, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. They had. Um, uh, da- uh, David Eckstein, Jared Weaver, who's Jared after Weaver. obviously they have one of the best players of all time in Mike Trout and, and, and Otani. They had Nolan Ryan, Tim Sa- Salmon, Howie Kendrick, Tory Hunter, Garrett Anderson, Hall of Famer, Rod Carew played out there, Darren Erstad, Troy Gloss. Remember Troy Gloss? Yeah, Vernon Wells played a little bit out there for a little, I think. Yeah. I think you said John Lackey. Fr- Fr- Francisco Rodriguez, one of the best uh, closers in the league for quite some time. Yeah, but I think he got popped with roids. Yeah. Wow. Sadly. K-Rod. I remember I, that was a height of K-Rod. You remember the height of K-Rod? That yeah, he was electric. They yeah. also had your man, Luis Renifo. <laughs> Renifo! <laughs> Who else did they have? They had a bunch of like, – Low key, like the Angels have so much history that nobody talks about. Like they had like quality like players. It's not like, oh, we had Mike Trout, Otani, and uh, they won the World Series, man. Jim Fregosi in the sixties, Chuck Finley in the eighties and nineties. Guy had a forty nine point two WAR in his career. They had another outfielder with Torrey Hunter because Torrey Hunter was on. Um, he was there, but he was a Minnesota Twin. That's how I remember Toy Hunter. Steve Finley played for them. Quality outfielder. Remember Sean Fig or yeah, Sean Figgins. Sean Figgins, yes, sir. Sean Figgins. Jim Edmonds played out there. That's right. Jim Edmonds, Garrett Anderson. Quality bat. So yeah, I mean they have some history, but and they won a World Series, like I said. Eddie but, Murray played for them. Ricky Henderson. The point is. Yeah. Or sorry, they won in 2002, not 2004. Man, that was a long time ago. But nonetheless, tough, tough news for Angels fans. I still like the moves they made this offseason, though. They've made some respectable moves. A lot of people hate them, but I I, I think they're building out a quality, like a quality roster. 
I think they'll be better than they were last year. And I, I, I'm going to try my best not to buy into the hype like I do every single season. And we'll see. I mean, they could trade Otani at the deadline and get just an insane haul. I know he's on an expiring, but a contender is really going to – would like love the the idea of getting a Shohei Otani now. Going to have to give up a ton. I don't know how many teams out there are going to be able to give up a ton. We saw how much the Potters gave up for Juan Soto last last August, last July. But you know, Shohei's a whole different animal. And it's just like Shohei's contract's up next offseason. So it's kind of like – if all the teams could just collude with each other and be like, yo, let's just deal it out at the end of the year and not have to like give up any capital. But I mean, then, then you start up with the whole debate, like, and you said it best. I'll never forget the day. And I think your dad, your dad told you this because you have family in Chicago and you told me, cause I was kind of like, man, that world is trade, man. They gave up Gliber, but then he's like a world series is forever. Nobody gives a crap that they gave up Gliber. It's a World Series is forever. Nobody's going to remember, oh, yeah, that uh, Gliber Torres went on to the Yankees and hit 330 home runs every season. Like, no, they freaking broke the streak and won a World Series. That's what's going to be in the books. Yeah, and also Gliber Torres is certainly not hitting 300 and hitting 30 home runs every year. So that was a win of a trade for the Cubs for sure. The guy's pretty much league average at, at, at second. We got a couple moves I want to talk about as well. Let's talk about. Uh, I, I want to talk about this one first. Um, Cole Cole Ir- Ir- Irwin, he was actually really good last year. He was really good for the for the Athletics. He was like, I mean, the Athletics are dog shit, but like he was really good. He was at at one point he was like going six, seven, one or uh, three or four hit outings. He was secretly a All Star candidate. He finished with a three point nine eight ERA in thirty starts. 181 innings pitched. He also had 128 strikeouts. Quality, quality arm for for Baltimore. And they were they were rumored in wanting to acquire another starter. And this is the guy that they all end up getting. This is the stretch because I had him in fantasy, and I remember in July he pitched five games, and in all five games he went six innings, at least six. He actually won four out of five starts. And the only start he lost was Houston, which he then five days later ended up winning. He gave up he gave up two earned runs versus Houston in his loss. Like that's not bad. Hey, he's a quality arm, and Baltimore needed, you know, another arm to their rotation. And what and what did they give up? They gave up nothing. Nothing. So it's a very buy low deal. And Baltimore is probably we'll talk about them later. They have one of the deepest form systems right now that I mean. If he doesn't work out, you just stick him as a long reliever in the pen. And, you know, you wait till all the young arms come up this year. So, yeah. hey. Exactly. And just for the record, Oakland did get Darrell Hernandez, 21-year-old minor leaguer, second baseman, hit 230, uh, 273 with 12 homers and 32 stolen bases last year. Um, so basically a farm guy for quality MLB arm. I think that's a good – I think that's a good move for, for Baltimore. Led the league in starts in 2021, had a 4.24 ERA that year, did give up the most hits. But you're looking at an Orioles rotation that's, it's okay. I mean, John Means, Kyle Gibson, Irvin, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish. Obviously, they have Grayson Rodriguez in the farm. Probably will see him this year. They're 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 trying. They're trying. They're going to be good. They have a lot of young talent. And like you said, they have the best farm system, which we'll get into later. Uh, hint at a little bit later in the podcast, but 
they have the best farm system arguably in, in the entire league. So I like the direction that Baltimore's going small under the radar trade, but I think it could pay some dividends. Now it's obviously a very tough division, but I think it's a good move. And it's always good having, you know, death in, in, in your rotation and in your pitching staff. And, you know, if I were to pick a five right now out of like what they have right now on opening day, I don't think means pitches opening day. I don't know. I haven't read up if he's going to be ready because he had TJ, Tommy John. Yeah. So I don't think he'll be – I don't know if he's going to be ready for opening day. He had it fairly early, so I don't know. Definitely Kyle Gibson's on the, on, on there. Dean, uh, Dean Kramer, definitely. He's actually quality. He, he is. Under, he had a good year. Very underrated with the guy. Should be interesting to watch him in the baseball classic for Israel. Cole Ir- Irwin, Irvin. And then probably Grayson makes it. And then the fifth one goes to either a Tyler Wells or John Means. Maybe they may even run six. But like I said, it's always good having ample long relief arms because it's a 162-game season, and those young guys, you can't just have them go pitch an exorbitant amount of innings. So I like the move. And they have Felix Bautista coming out of the pen. One of the more underrated relievers in the entire game, in my opinion. That Probably the scariest reliever right now. And the that game. dude is humongous. And he throws hard. Yeah. He's fun to watch. He's scary when you see him trotting into the to the to the mound from the pen. And when he has his uh when he's at home and he has the, his uh walkout, the wire coming yeah. off. Oh boy. Great TV show, by the way. Um okay. another move that went down, we hinted at it a little bit earlier, but Minnesota. Trades with Kansas City. Kansas City making a few deals recently. Minnesota getting Michael A. Taylor. Kansas City getting Evan Sisk and Steven Cruz, who was the Twins' 28th ranked prospect. So those are two relievers for Michael A. Taylor, who is one of the best defensive center fielders in the entire league. He's on an expiring deal at $9 million. I mean, he's not a good hitter. Don't get me wrong, but uh, he he's is. He's a speed demon. That's he, what he is. He's a great hitter. I've always liked him. He seems like a really great guy. The Twins outfield all of a sudden has four gold glovers in Buxton, Kepler, Gallo, and Taylor. So you're looking at a really solid defensive outfield, and he, he'll project as kind of a bench guy, rotation player for giving up two relief prospects. I, I think it makes sense. A little bit of uh, lineup cover uh, to replace RAs in that move, but good move for Minnesota. Again, they've been super active. Love to see it from the Twins. Yeah, my thoughts on this is uh, Michael Taylor. I remember him growing up from the um, Oakland system. Him and Michael Choice were the two top guys in the Oakland system. He was he had a little stint over in Washington, and he went to Kansas City. I like the move. Buxton's bound to miss 81 games at 162, so you're going to need somebody to play center when Buxton can't play. And even then, that allows Buxton to not have to play the field and just DH which I think will be yep. really good to manage his his legs and his body throughout the season. So good move by Minnesota. Honestly, like I said, I've been loving what Minnesota's doing. I just still have questions. Like they don't have that top-end talent in, in the pitching staff. But, hey, we'll see what happens. They may have another move. Who knows, you know? Yeah, and Michael A. Taylor, World Series champion. So he does bring some championship pedigree to the roster. He's in his 30s, so he ha- he's been in the league since – 2014 this will be his 10th year in the league like he's a veteran uh, brings that experience to the twins which which i like and but this is really this is buxton insurance for sure because 
you know, we can set the over under on, unfortunately, when Buxton's going to get tweak a hamstring and be out uh, for a couple of weeks. So good well, move for, or just run into a wall like he did last year and then ended up missing like two weeks. Yeah, if I'm a Twins fan, I, I, I'd rather see Buxton just DH and and Taylor roam the outfield because I think, uh, you know, he can play an outstanding. <laughs> Another move that went down, Adalberto Montesi gets traded from Kansas City. Like I said, the Royals have been quite active. He gets traded to Boston for Josh Taylor, a reliever that had a 3-4 ERA last year in 61 games. Josh Taylor has historically been a guy that struggled with injury. And apparently his velo has been down in his rehab this offseason. So Boston wasn't too high on him, but Adalberto Mondesi is is another player that has certainly struggled with injury. He led, you know, he's a great player. He's a steam demon, speed demon when he's playing. Uh, he led the the league in triples in 2019 with 10 and stolen bases in 2020 with 24 in that shortened season. He has been injured the past two years. He tore his ACL last April. And he's only played 50 games uh, in the past two seasons. So um, the, he, he might miss the start of the year with that torn ACL. And this is obviously Boston going out and getting the shortstop to, you know, fill that spot for Trevor Story, who's going to be out with injury. But I just find it a little questionable that you, you know, replace a guy that is hurt with a guy that has significant injury concern. Um, the Sox have come out and said that Kike Hernandez is probably going to be their starting shortstop. But I, I like Montesi when he's playing. I think he does a lot of things that I like on the field, like steal bases um, and play good, play good shortstop. But I just I find it confusing that they traded for a dude that is super injury prone. Could have just signed like a Jerickson Profar or something. I mean, Boston's. We don't know what the hell Boston's doing. I mean, we love the player, but we don't know what the hell they're doing as a as a vision standpoint. And if you want to just jump in and clump these moves together, they signed Adam Duvall for a one-year, $7 million contract. So it's kind of like, are they just trying to create a team of just mid, of just straight average to just get people into the ballpark? Like, semi-competitive and not crap? Because that's what they're doing. Like, I don't know know what they're doing. Like, literally, it's like, their farm is weak. Like Wiki as in not ready till 24, 25. So it's kind of like, what are you doing? Like, uh, I, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I'm just sick and tired of talking about Boston. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, Kansas City's just opening up playing time for their young guys. I mean, they have a lot of their dudes graduated the system. They got Benny Pasquantino at first. They got Nick Prado also at first. Um, Bobby Witt Jr.'s up. Um, they have a, a bunch of uh, MJ Melendez. They have a bunch of dudes that need PT. And so, I mean, I don't, he doesn't fit the timeline. So I understand the move. So. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Boston, Adam Duvall is, he's okay. He hit two thirteen last year. He was certainly had a bad season for Atlanta last year, but in 21, he did lead the league in RBIs with 113 also had 38 home runs that year. So he was solid for both Miami and Atlanta in 2021. He helped the Braves win a world series that year. So um, he he is coming off a down year, but it's a one year flyer for seven million. I don't like mind that signing as much as you know. I, I as I question the Mondesi move, just just due to his health. But but uh, but here's but here's the thing. It's like and and now that we're getting clearer pictures of what teams are doing in the Boston outfield, you got Verdugo. Well, Kika's out now because he's not playing. I mean, they do need outfield because now now thinking about it, they don't have, they have any. Verdugo and Duran and Duval, really. 
but they everybody hates Duran and, and and Yoshida. Like I mean, I get it, but it's just like they're just trying to be bang average. Just went eighty one and eighty one, um, and that's and that's and that's all the trades that happened. Uh, we'll run through some uh, FA moves. Uh, Tommy Pham signed with the Mets for a one year, six million dollar contract. Hopefully, he doesn't beat anybody up in the clubhouse for fantasy football moves. Uh, I mean, kind of replaces Tyler Naquin, good yeah. fourth outfielder. He's a good fourth outfielder, exactly. You know, guy hit 234 with six homers and 24 RBIs last year in 53 games with Boston, and then 238 in 91 games with Cincy. Uh, he's fine, uh, you know, but he's he's a journeyman, you know. He's been on a lot of – he's been on the Cardinals, the Rays, the Padres, the Reds, the Red Sox, and now the Mets in his nine-year career. So, um, I mean – it's a fine fourth outfielder signing. Instead of getting McCutcheon, they get Fam for a year and six mil. I Not- actually like the move. I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big fan believer. So yeah, you, you've I, always been a Tommy Fam guy. You really? I, have. I, I'm a big fan guy. I think I think he'll do well. Good clubhouse won't happen much. You know, he would be a perfect <laughs> Tommy Fam would be a great San Francisco move. Like he would be one of those players that San Francisco would get. Well, I don't think you could. I don't think you can get him with. Oh yeah, Peterson out there. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like he'd he'd be good. Well, if Jock Peterson, yeah, wasn't there. Also, another free agent signing, Brian Anderson to Milwaukee, one year, three point five mil. Um, he spent his first six years of his career in Miami, where he hit two fifty six with uh, fifty seven home runs in six years. Um, just kind of been a perennially average, but Milwaukee gets a bat. And then Jesus Aguilar to Oakland one year, three mil don't have really much to say, but those are moves that that have happened since our last podcast. So Brian Anderson's more like a fill filling the outfield. I expect to see Yelich Winker and Tyrone Taylor. And then Milwaukee has a bunch of good guys coming up in the system. And we'll talk about that in, in the next pod. And, uh, Hazel Aguilar, Oakland, just trying to fill out the roster. Just put up a respectable, low-cost MLB team together for opening day. Hey, we have spent money. We are we have spent actual real American currency in the winter to acquire players. They also mm-hmm. signed a pitcher from Japan, so they're out here they making did? moves. They they signed a pitcher from Japan. Yeah, they did. I even know that the Japanese guy actively selected to go to Oakland. You know that you know that's a you know what that means, right? If he actually went to Oakland, that means like he's not that good of a Japanese player. If he went to Oakland, of, of all places, man, they signed free agent Shintaro Fujinami. He's twenty eight years old from Japan. Mm-hmm. So they they're making moves out there in Oakland. There you go, Oakland um, making moves. Perhaps the the biggest news outside of probably the Pablo Lopez trade was the hall of fame voting that happened this past Tuesday, Scott Rowland third baseman has officially been voted in by the baseball writers association of America into the hall of fame. So he was the only player on this year's ballot to receive enough votes to qualify for enshrinement. He earned 76.3% of the vote, which uh, in his sixth time on the ballot, you need 75% of the vote to make it in. You need, or sorry, he made it in by just five votes so he joins only six other players who have made it in by that small of a margin but i am firmly a believer that scott Rowland is a hall of fame caliber player he played 17 seasons in the league for the phillies the cardinals the reds and a little bit there at the end for the blue jays 281 average 
1,200 RBIs, 316 home runs, 2,000 hits, um, and also 517 doubles. But he is certainly best known uh, for his defense. Eight-time gold glover really played a key role in that World Series team with the Cardinals in 2006. Ends his career or ended his career with a 21.2% defensive war and a 114 defensive run saves or DRS from 03, which when the stat started to, to 2012, when he retired, he joins Chipper Jones as just the second third baseman who debuted in the last 40 years to make the hall of fame. And is only the 17th third baseman of all time to make the hall. He joins Fred McGriff, who was elected by the contemporary baseball era committee in December to the hall of fame in the 2023 class. The two will be inducted into the Hall of Fame in July. Thoughts on Roland? I know he he played a key role on those Reds Reds teams in the early two thousands, early two thousand tens. Yeah, uh, and obviously won a World Series in St. Louis. I think he he certainly deserves it, and uh, I'm happy for him. Obviously. Yeah, I mean his his uh, accolades scream. He finished with a WAR of seventy point one which finishes 10th among all third basemen and became the fourth third baseman ever to hit 2,000 hits, 500 doubles, 300 home runs, and 1,200 RBIs, which the only other third baseman to do that are Mike Schmidt, George Brett, and Chipper Jones. I think if you're in a list with those three guys, I think you well away deserve it. I'm happy. He deserves it. Writers got it right. Not happy that uh, Billy Wagner, one of the best closers to ever pitch in Major League Baseball, has not been elected, ranks among the top 20, 20, 20 in saves of all time. That man was shut down, and he was a lefty, and he's still not in. Yep, but in terms of guys that have increased their vote percentage-wise, Wagner went from 51% in 22 to 68.1% in 2023, so he's getting closer to that 75%. You also had Todd Helton, who went up a lot this year. He was at 52% last year, all the way up to 72.2 this year. Um, so he'll definitely make it in next year. I mean, well, knock on wood, definitely, because there's a bunch of – next year's list is crazy. Like, when we yeah. start talking about the, the list from next year, it, it's pretty nutty. I mean, Helton and Wagner do deserve it. I mean, very surprised at the Sheffield numbers to go up, even though he's been – embarked in the, the the steroid era yeah he went up from 40 percent last year to 55 percent this year and then you also had andrew jones who went up from 41 percent to 58 percent this year so those were some of the highest risers pretty those are pretty staggering increases i think if you had to pick a guy out of the, that list to make it next year it would definitely be todd helton i mean you know dude tore it up in for the rockies both at cores and outside of cores so i think he'll probably make it next year you had A-Rod got 35% of the vote in his second year on the ballot. Uh, he'll probably never make it. Manny Ramirez, 33% in his eighth year. He's not going to make it. Carlos Beltran debuted with 46.5% of the vote. No player that has debuted with more than 42% of the vote has not been elected. Beltran obviously mired in the kind of scandal with the Houston Astros. Otherwise, he probably would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. But, you know. It, we're starting to see that first round of Astros players that were on that team uh, get affected by in, in terms we're of associated, we're associated with that team. Exactly. So I don't, I, I, I don't understand. And this is something you can, you can speak larger about as an ex player. I feel 
and this might be controversial. This is a hot take. Uh, taking steroids, yes, is awful. And it's, man, it's heinous to do and take something that's performance enhancing. But since everybody was doing it, I kind of mean it's kind of like if you weren't doing it, you're kind of left out. And it's just like, hey, I could take roids. I can be a, a bang average MLB player, take roids, and become – I can't just become super Jesus. That's a skill. That's a skill you have to learn. Right. And no, control- I know. Steroids don't automatically make you good at baseball. You still have to be good at you know the hand-eye coordination. There's so much that goes into baseball besides just being big and fast and strong. Instead of like having a buzzer that tells you what pitch, like the mental aspect. Oh, if I know, it's like – Knowing the answers to the test before you take the test. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get the test, you already know how to do it and you know how to perform. So it's kind of like that's even worse. And I don't understand how a guy like Beltron can get 46.5% of the vote in something that I think is way more, you know, if they're going to preach integrity of the game and preach about how it should be clean and everything, I don't know how you get 46.5% of the vote. It's a totally fair point. I think. For me, you look at it where I think they introduced that law or or they started testing for steroids in like 2003. So I think anyone that got popped for steroids after that, when they knew it was against the rules, you can hold that hold them more accountable, like a guy like an A-Rod, right? Or like people that tested positive before, like a Mark McGuire or a Sammy Sosa, when it wasn't necessarily outlawed, then maybe there's a little more leeway there. So it's so a hype. Hyper- how are you going to tell people to stop taking steroids and you've done it for your whole career? Well, because it's against the rules. Oh, I, but, I, I think mean, the, right, the writers have made it clear that these steroid era players are never going to make it into the Hall of Fame. They might make it on the contemporary vote, but they're not going to make it on the writer's vote. But And here's my other thing. How the hell, if you're going to impeach integrity of the game and you're going to put 46.5, why isn't Pete Rose? Pete Rose broke the integrity of the game. Just gig. I think gambling and like sign stealing like that, like I don't even know if you can call it sign stealing because everybody sign steals in a way. I have no issue with sign stealing if you're doing it legitimately, just trying to pick up on tendencies and, and look at signs. But if you're using like video equipment, that's part of the game. But if you're using like outside sources like video or you're sending someone to watch practices, et cetera, then that's behind, that's past the line. But if you're just in game trying to pick up on stuff guys are doing, that's not, that's cheating. That's not cheating. That's been, that's been part of the game ever since it's been a thing. We did that in middle school. It's like, it's like, it's like when you take a test, sign stealing on a test is like when you talk to the professor and the professor drops, tells you things, or you pick up on things that you hear from other students inside the test room, talking to the professor, or even, in the same test, you find something that gives you the answer for a uh, answer down the line. Now, sign stealing with equipment is like have is like being a chick with an AirPod in and having long hair and covering the AirPod, <laughs> right. and getting the answer exactly. exactly. That's, yeah, that's a great analogy. That's yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it. It's interesting uh, to see him get so much of the vote. Yeah, next year, all the guys. Sorry, just on Pete Rose. I yeah. do think he should be in the Hall of Fame because he's one of the best hitters. He's obviously the all-time hit leader in the history of the game. He is one of the greatest players to ever step foot on a baseball field. And he didn't – the only reason he's not in the Hall is because he was gambling on games as a manager. And he only bet on his own team. I know it's wrong. But when you look at it now and there's you know so much integration and the, the, the these sports books are in bed with all the major professional sports leagues, 
how much of an issue should they have with what happened 40 years ago? And also, I mean, Pete Rose was one of the first, he wasn't the single first. I don't know if you saw sports gambling went legal yeah. in Ohio in January and he, they let him be the first guy to place a bet. And he put a bet at one of the sports books on the reds to win the world series this year. So I don't know. It's just <laughs> odd. Dude should be in the hall of fame, but there's so many weird individual instances out there. And I, I think the writers just err on the side of caution on all these guys. Yeah. He put the bet uh, at the casino in Cincinnati up at the hard rock. I saw the, the picture. And what's, it, funny, and what's funny is too, is like, even like stadiums, I know a lot of teams, own, some teams own their stadiums. A lot of them lease it, but a lot of these stadiums and ballparks having sports books built into the stadiums that you could like, pull, like you could just pull up to the game. Even Mark Cuban, I don't know if you saw that, uh, the owner of Dallas Magic said, oh, I want to have a build a basketball arena by a casino. Or with a casino. I, I, I didn't see that, but yeah, yeah, it's just, it's like, it's the biggest growing thing in sports right now, gambling. And it, it's so huge already. It's just, it's it's weird. Manfred is on his knees going up to the Oakland Athletics owners and he's like, we will drop the relocation fee so you can go to Vegas. He is on his knees to have a team in Vegas. I know. I know. <laughs> he, he absolutely is. That team will definitely get moved to Vegas in, in sometime in the next few and years. You won't, and you won't let Pete Rose in, bro. Get, get the fuck out of here. Sorry. Well, for the well, well it's the, the Hall of Fame isn't an MLB entity. It's its own thing. So it has nothing to do with the league itself. But that's what I'm saying. But it's related to Major League Baseball. Right. You're telling me that if they have a team in Vegas, you're not telling me that they're going to a, the club and then popping out and dropping $100 on the on the casino table. I'm just saying it, it's, it makes no sense. You know, I know. And in, in, I, in terms of like the Hall of Fame, you have the argument of we need to keep it in tech. We need to keep it keep the integrity in touch, whatever. It's a sacred place. And then you also have the argument of, well, it's a museum. It's supposed to tell the story of the league, the history of the league. And if you're leaving out key players in the league, such as a Barry Bonds, a Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, even an Alex Rodriguez, if you're not in the museum, some of the most important players in the history of the game, then does it really tell the full story of the history of the game? Um, So there's two sides of the argument. I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of fall in the middle. I do as well. I think we should celebrate skill. Yeah. Not not cheating. And I think cheating is when you steal signs and you you actually impact the game. Next year in 2024, the only thing that makes me think that Helton and Wagner might get held up is because of this list in 2024. You got guys like Adrian Beltre. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Bartolo Colon, he's more of a fan guy, so he I don't think he'll make it. He'll fall off the ballot. Uh, Matt Holiday, he was great. Uh, he won't make it as a first ballot, but he could make you know a few years. You have to get above five percent to stay on the ballot. So the next year he'll stay on for a few years. Adrian Gonzalez will probably stay on. Joe Mauer might be a first ballot. That's that's one of the ones that we're gonna have to be that coming up next year. We're gonna have to debate Joe Mauer. Joe Mauer uh, has a chance. Yeah. Brandon Phillips. No. Yes. What are you talking about? He. One of the best second defensive second basemen in all of baseball. He won't he won't make it though. He's not a Hall of Famer. David Wright and Chase Utley. David Wright has a chance. Chase Utley certainly has an argument as well. He's a Sabermetrics god. David Wright has a chance. I think Brandon Phillips 
Vmart, I don't think Vmart will make it. I think he'll fall off the ballot after like year five or six. But he Martinez, was yeah, probably not. Yeah, but hey, there's some guys that were. You Did know, you say Jose Bautista? Yeah, Jose Bautista, but I don't think he makes it at all. Yeah. I think he falls off a cliff after like year two or three. He was great in his prime, though. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing his shirt right now. Oh, yeah. Got the Blue yeah, Jays shirt on. Is that a Jose Bautista jersey? Yeah, Jose Bautista jersey. I have his jersey as well. Never forget when he freaking uh, when him and a Rugnado door got into it. <laughs> My uh, favorite so- Bautista memory is him hitting that home run against Texas in the in the division series. That's that's probably the best bat flip of all time. That's one of the craziest like series. Like that Texas Texas Toronto series is crazy because it was, I, you know it was close games and fights. I vividly remember that game that Jose Bautista hit that home run. I was watching it. I think I just got back from school. It was one of those day playoff games. And yeah, that that game itself was insane. There was a lot of back and forth that inning. And then he hit that bomb to cap it all off. It was like, whoa. Place went crazy. Hit the hit the horn in that stadium. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. Another I before we get out, we have to touch on the MLB top 100 prospects that dropped this week. We we're sending them back and forth. Obviously they, they released the, the top prospects via positions and then they dropped the full top 100 list on Thursday night. Interesting list to say the least, but now we have a really good sense of where kind of prospects and, and teams farm systems ranked heading into the season. I'm, I'm curious your initial takeaways. Um. Honestly, very excited about Ellie, uh, Ellie De La Cruz. I don't know if you've seen him play. He's one of the most exciting guys coming up through the system. He's a O'Neal Cruz build, six foot, six foot, huge six foot shortstop. Absolute wiry, big excitement. Um, super excited to see him. Only issue with him is seeing the strikeout rate. It's going to have to come down, but good to see him up in the top 10. Dodgers takeaways. Look at the Dodgers system. Very strong. Uh, as we said, this is kind of a play the kids year. Get them, get their feet wet, build a foundation. And then the farm system is loaded. They have yeah. seven top 100 guys. Yeah. Um, not surprised to see the Braves at one of the weaker systems with zero prospects. They kind of, Oakland kind of has all their prospects <laughs> between Sean Murphy yeah, and do. Matt Olson. And then Milwaukee, I'm interested to see these Milwaukee guys. I haven't watched much of these Milwaukee guys, but Milwaukee has a couple of guys coming up that I'm interested in. Uh, Orioles, interested in their farm. And then Cardinals, uh, Jordan Walker is the big guy I want to watch. So also the last thing I will say. Wait, before, I have a point on the Cardinals. Yeah, you, let me just say this last point no, quickly. None of the guys that the Nationals got from that Soto trade really improved from their standing last year. And it's kind of interesting to see that they're – very raw guys that aren't ready. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep watching what's going on in uh in Washington. Yeah, I think on the Cardinals, and you mentioned Jordan Walker, he's the fourth overall prospect in the entire league. I was listening to the Athletic Baseball podcast today and, and Katie Wu uh, that covers the the Cardinals for for the Athletic that made a really good point in, in, the, in the sense that uh, a couple of the Cardinals outfielders are going to be in the World Baseball Classic this year. And Jordan Walker is going to get a lot of major league reps in spring training. So he he has a legitimate chance to make their opening day roster. They got Newt Bar. I forgot Newt Bar because Newt Bar is Korean, right? Uh, Tyler O'Neill's Canadian. Lars Newt Bar is on Japan's roster. He'll be good. 
it'll, it'll be good for Jordan Walker. I'll be interested to see. And, you know, this is MLB Top 100. We still have a bunch of uh, fan graphs is slowly coming out with their prospect list out. They only have like five or six teams out right now. Um, you said Keith Law comes out the 31st. Yep. So that'll be something for the next pod that you guys should wait for it when we fully dive into the prospects, watch some tape, and we can and we can see what, what's going on. But definitely some of my favorite guys we'll talk about on next pod, uh, Ellie De La Cruz. We're going to have to talk about Anthony Volpe, Oswaldo Plaza, Jason Dominguez, uh, and um, the guy. I, I, I want to see these Dodgers guys. My guy, uh, Miguel Vargas, I, I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The Orioles have three top 12 guys. I'm shocked to see Jackson Holiday so high at number 12 already. He's only 19. He, got, he was the first overall pick. I get it last year, but he's still super young. Uh, Did but- he play football? Did he play rookie ball this year? Yeah, yeah, of course he played rookie ball. He uh, he played rookie ball and he played a ball. So he hit four oh nine in rookie ball in Jesus only Christ. eight only eight games, and then he played all oh, eight games in, in a ball twelve games two thirty eight average. So hasn't hasn't gotten a ton of reps at all. But and then Andrew and then Andrew's fifteenth, right, or something like that. He's like top yeah. in the teens. Drew Jones is fifteenth. Yeah, yeah, and he hasn't played yet. So. I kind of think some of the list is kind of skewed because you're kind of like banking on, you know, these, you know, these guys that haven't played much ball to be really good. Like Elijah Green, I don't think he's even in the top 100. Yeah. He's like back half and he's had more play than those guys. Right. He, he's 46. Yeah, but that's so crazy because he was a top five guy, top. Yeah, he was the fifth overall pick. Yeah, there's there's some things I, I look at their rankings that I don't really like. Like Royce Lewis at 46 makes no sense to me. He kind of graduated last year. Well, Hunter Hunter Brown for the Astros is on it, and he's 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 in that 40 ish to 60 range. Hunter yeah. Brown, he's about to graduate like in the first two weeks of the season. Yeah. First, so yeah, he's 43rd. Uh, some notes: Ryan Pepio, 70th overall, Butler alum. Obviously, Gunnar Henderson's first overall. Corbin Carroll second with the D-backs. Gunnar Henderson's with the, the Orioles. In terms of biggest risers, Ellie De La Cruz plus sixty six to number ten. He was seventy six last year. Gunnar Henderson went from sixty third to first. You had Kyle Harrison from the Giants go up uh, fifty seven spots. Obviously, Ellie De La Cruz is with the with the Reds. We should say. I don't think we've mentioned that. In terms of biggest fallers, Jack Leiter dropped sixty one spots for Texas. He's all the way down 78th. He struggled last year, 5.50 ERA in AA Frisco. Uh, he was, you know, the second overall pick in 2021. And then your boy, Miami, Khalil Watson, he was 25th and he dropped out of the top 100. Well, 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 well that's a, He's got that's, some that's not a ability issue. That's more of a, yeah, him. Issue. That's an off the field. Yeah. Yeah. That's a maturity. Manager or whatever, we'll see. My if Miami's crashing next, Meyer went down. It's crashing down here, man. It is a dog shit franchise right now. And last note, quickly before we get out, I know we mentioned the the Astros GM saga with Jim Crane, the owner, and him maybe wanting to run the team like Jerry Jones. But the Astros did name a GM this week. They found their guy. It's going to be Dana Brown, who will replace James Click, who departed the team after winning the 2022 World Series. 
Well, he didn't depart. They offered him a one-year deal, and he declined it because it was kind of a slap in the face. They basically refused to extend the guy. Uh, Brown's coming over from the Braves, where he was the VP in charge of scouting. Um, And, yeah, he's going to be the guy in Houston. Yeah, he was a right-hand man of Alex Anthopoulos, where they picked uh, Shaylang Lears, who's now in Oakland. Vaughn Grisham, who's probably the starting opening day shortstop for Atlanta. Bryce Elder, Michael Harris, and Spencer Strider. So, yeah, they – He's done well, been a part of a good front office. Maybe he can bring some of the, the accountants over from Atlanta and start cooking those books with the, with the Astros. Maybe your bond signs like a five-year, $100, $100 million contract. Yeah, last thing we want is the Astros to start cooking the books the way the Braves are because then the league's in trouble. Hey, man, they Enron, man. They can just get those Enron boys. And get just, those Enron <laughs> boys, yeah. Get Bernie Madoff out there, start scamming everybody. Hey, man, that's the last thing we want in the league, man. Exactly. How you feeling about? How you feeling? We're only like two weeks away, close to from pictures and reporting. How do you feel? Can't wait. Obviously, more excited for the WBC in March. I got to book my flights. Still got to do that. Got to buy those tickets. But hype for that. Hype for baseball to come back, man. Football is winding down. Only got three real football games left. Baseball is going to take over. It's that time of well, year. Warm weather's coming. You got four. You got four NFL games. You kind of Pro Bowl. Yeah, which is not even a game anymore. It's a flag football game. Hey, who cares? It's it's football. Yeah, I probably won't be watching that one, but yeah, I'm excited for baseball. Not, of course, we we thought this week we were gonna do like a some type of specialty podcast, but there's just been so much news, so much going on this offseason that we had to do another podcast just talking about everything that's been going on across the league. I mean, you can blame Minnesota for no specialty podcast. Exactly. Well, so. we'll we'll see what we're we'll do next week. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe we get an IKF, IKF, Josh Donaldson, and Aaron Hicks trade. I hope. Yeah, Brian Cashman announced that Hicks is going to be the starting left fielder pretty much. So, yeah, great. Uh, you got anything else before we get out? No, nah, man. I mean, excited. Baseball. Yes, sir. Another good podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace out. <laughs>